Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Happy Thanksgiving week. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, I can't believe Thanksgiving's already here. I know. Actually. Here we are. End of November-ish. Yeah, I feel like it's like time is just flying. It is. Yeah. I know. It's, it's going to go so fast now with all the holidays. I like once, I feel like once Halloween hits, it's like, yeah, balls out. Right. Yeah. And that's my name. name today. <laughs> <laughs> we pick funny names whenever we log on to our video thing. And my name today is balls out for a different reason, but <laughs> mine's really funny too. Cause it says Christy. Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> no, literally didn't even have energy. It, that's what was in from the last call. I think for some reason, Oh, cause oh. I didn't do, I used this for something else. And so I just used my name and then, um, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to type something different. That's how yeah. I feel today. <laughs> <laughs> Understand, but we have big Thanksgiving plans. We hope you guys have some family time carved in, or food time, one or the other, or both. All of it. All of it. I'm hosting. Yeah, that'll be oh, fun for you. I know it's a lot of people. I just went today or yesterday and got um, the fancy paper plates mm. because I don't yeah. ha- own enough plates for all of these people that are coming to my house. <laughs> It's amazing so, to me that I don't own enough plates. Well, just that it's that many people. Oh, I know. I'm still worried about forks. So I feel like I'm just going to be washing dishes all weekend long, which is great. Yeah. And you're coming. Christy's coming to see me. I am. Two I times am. in one month. Driving over to North Carolina on Tuesday. Woohoo. Yay. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to see the kids. I mean, I'm excited to see you, but I haven't seen the kids in over a year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids are excited to see your kids and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. It'll be a good trip. My sister's um, actually coming down from New York to oh, New nice. York. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it's a funny story. Actually, I can tell you right now. We were texting my mom, my sister and I recently. Um, and I don't remember how this cover. Oh, we were talking about menopause. Okay. <laughs> as, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> yeah. My oldest is driving. And so like I was writing something, well, I mean, he's learning to drive and I was telling them, you know, how he went on a lesson, blah, blah, blah. And my mom said something like, I'm tearing up just so being so proud of him. And I was like, I feel like I tear up all the time about mm-hmm. like things that they do recently, like more than I used to. Like, it's like these pr- proud moments and I just well up. And I was like, I don't know if that's like literally because I'm so proud of every little stinking thing they do, or is it like perimenopause? Have I just started and I'm less <laughs> emotional about everything and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, cause I have no idea. So I, for whatever you guys don't know or don't know, like I had a hysterectomy at 26 because I had cervical cancer. And so like, I have no idea when I'm going to hit that. Like there's no like mm. physical triggers for me to know, oh, it's been however many months since I haven't had. Okay. It's been 17 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, so. Which no is idea. amazing, by the way. 17 years. Cancer yeah. free. Hello. Yeah. I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah, it would be eight, 18 coming up here. Anyway. um, So my sister also had a hysterectomy at some point, And she said that when they went in, because she's like, yeah, I'm probably going through that. I have, you know, spells, blah, blah, blah. Then she was telling me how about when they went in to take her ovaries, they couldn't find one. They only took one out because, and I don't do not remember the story because this was years ago that she had this done, and I swear I don't remember her telling the story. Maybe she didn't. I just forgot. But they couldn't find her second ovary, 
and they noticed that there was trauma in there and thought, well, it was probably a cyst that like burst and just like literally like her body absorbed the like good lord or whatever. Anyway, and it was such a strange conversation because she said that and I was like, you you were missing an ovary? Like they couldn't find it. And then a cyst, you, they think a cyst burst? That cyst is an ovary killer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like you murder inside your body. Like the texturing that we're going for. <laughs> like I'm telling this story on, on the podcast. Yeah, ovary killer inside of her. <laughs> oh man. Somebody needs to charge that cyst first degree. Right. Right. Exactly. Or at least oh, assault it itself. It was like murder suicide. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can see how that texturing would spiral. Maybe yeah. her ovary was new they were coming. And it was like, I'm out. I'm hiding. I'm out. Not, you're, <laughs> not taking me. you're not now. taking me alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Super funny. And she and she even joked, she's like, Yeah, if you want to tell that story, I can be a guest on your podcast. And I'm like, Jen, you've probably listened to like three episodes. You're not coming on my podcast. No, she can come and tell her murder story. <laughs> okay. Well, I've already told it now. Her homicidal cyst. That's what we'll call it. The sister's Hom- homicidal cyst. Yes. There you who go. Wants to know, who wants to hear it? Come on, Jen. <laughs> takes, takes three minutes to tell the story. It'll be a short episode. <laughs> okay. God, and we already know it, but that's okay. <laughs> Firsthand accounts are always better. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was funny and I needed to share it. So I like Thanks that for you the did. Story. Yep. <laughs> Do you want another story? Do you want a crime story? It's not about a cyst. Okay. All right. Yes. I got one for you. Okay. This story is a listener suggestion by my sister, Laura. Oh. Given us a couple of suggestions before. And I don't even know that she actually suggested this case. She just was telling me about it. And I was like, huh, I'm going to put that on my list and look into it. So mm. mostly because it's in Texas. and we know i do all the texas okay so we're back in texas and we're gonna talk about the two like cutest little cuties i ever did see this is the story of molly olgeen and christine choppa any bells okay okay so the two of them live in portland texas portland is a town just outside of corpus christi so southern texas Mm -hmm. on the water Molly Judith Olguin was born May 12, 1993 in Portland, Texas, to parents Mario and Marielle, and she had two sisters named Megan and Madison. Everybody got so M's? Five M's. <laughs> yes. Really cute. Molly is described as friendly and outgoing. She never met a stranger or anyone that she couldn't win over. In 2012, when our story takes place, Molly was 19 years old and attending Texas A&M. She had just finished her first year there, and she aspired to be a psychologist. Oh. Hello. She had lots of friends, and she was the one with the car. Do you Mm. remember that friend? That was Mm -hmm. like the one friend with the car that literally drove everyone around all the time. That was me in high school, by the way. Um, Can I just interrupt you one second? What year did you say? Sorry, 2012. Just, okay, I I blanked on it. Yeah, when you 2012 it. is when our this when this all happens. Okay, so Molly had a best friend named Christine Choppa. 
Christine was 18 years old and she was described very similar to Molly. She was friendly. She was a good kid. She and Christine spent a lot of time together and their families described them as inseparable. Christine was 18 years old and her and Molly were like yin and yang. So they were very different, but they made an awesome team and were super well loved, really close. Their friend group was described as the good kids. Like they didn't drink, they didn't party, they didn't smoke. They would spend time at coffee shops or drive around listening to music and singing or go to local parks and hang out. It's like they really were just like having good, wholesome Texas fun. They were good kids. So on June 22nd of 2012, Molly and Christine had planned to go see a movie. But they were late getting started, so the two of them decided that they would just go hang out at a local park. Molly had wanted to show Christine the spot where she had been baptized. Oh, see what I'm saying about these, these yeah. kids. So the two of them went to Violet Andrews Park, which is a park that overlooks the Corpus Christi Bay in the Gulf of Mexico. Really beautiful spot. And the park has some wooden decks that are used as overlooks. Mm-hmm. So like there's hills that go down onto the beach and into the bay. And then there's these wooden decks, you know, various places where people can go and stand and like overlook the water. So the two girls are hanging out on one of these overlooks, just talking and whatever. And they notice a man walk past them. And he seems to kind of stop and glare at them. And they get, they're like, what, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm a little freaked out. So they decide that they're going to go ahead and go. They're going to leave. But before they can do that, the man approaches them with a gun. Oh, here's your trigger warning. He is wearing all black. He has on like a semi-sheer mask. So he has a mask on, but it's like kind of see-through. Like stockings? That's what it reminds me of. They don't mm-hmm. say that, but it in the description, that's what it reminds me of. And he has on black gloves. So he holds the girls at gunpoint and he starts talking to them and making sexual comments towards them about what he's going to do to them. Mm-hmm. And he refers to them as girl one and girl two. So he forces them down off the overlook and down the hill that's like underneath the Mm -hmm. overlook and towards the beach. And he leads them into some tall grass that's down there close to the beach. So then again, calling them girl one and girl two, he forces Christine to bind Molly's hands behind her back and then put duct tape over her mouth and her eyes and then do the same to herself. So he's like, hey, girl one, get girl two's hands and do this. Like, that's how he's talking to him. Okay. Mm-hmm. He then sexually assaults both of the girls, continuing to call them girl one, girl two. And then he has them both lay face down in the grass. He then pulls out a gun. He shoots Molly in the back of the head and seconds later shoots Christine. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So early the next morning on June 23rd, there is a couple bird watching in the park early, early. They go over to one of the overlooks and they notice something laying in the grass, like the tall grass down below. And they realize that it's two bodies and there is blood everywhere. Mm. So they immediately call 911 and first responders come. The first responders and law enforcement describe the scene as very gruesome They have two bodies of young women laying on the grass near the beach, face down, 
Both are bloody. Both have clearly had head trauma. They're partially closed, clothed. Mm-hmm. Their hands are bound behind their backs and they have the duct tape around their eyes and their mouths. Their faces are totally unrecognizable. Oh my gosh. Like their facial features, nothing. It's They can't tell anything. So police immediately start checking the pulses of the two girls. The girl on the left is cold to the touch and has no pulse. So they're starting to check the pulse of the other victim. And this badass sets up and starts to make noises. So she oh, is alive. Gosh. So they immediately put her into an ambulance and take her to the hospital. The other victim, sadly, was pronounced dead at the scene, but was also transported to the hospital. So by the body's location, police find the driver's license of Mary Christine Chapa, who had the same color hair. She seemed to be the same age and same build as the victims. So they suspect that this person is one of the victims. Mm-hmm. But based on how unrecognizable their face was, they don't know which one. That she like they can't look at the driver's license and be like, oh, that's that girl, because Mm -hmm. they can't they can't tell based on their facial like injuries. So in the parking lot, there was one car, only one car there. It was a white car, and they ran the plates on the white car, and it came back as being registered to Molly Olguin. So police suspect that she is the other victim. Right. So police call both of these families both Molly's family and Christine's family. And they confirm from both families that Molly and Christine are indeed friends, that they were together the night before, and that neither one of the families can confirm where they are. Mm. So police inform both families that they feel like their daughters have been involved in an accident and they ask them to come to the hospital. So they know there were two victims, one being Molly and one being Christine. And they know that one is dead and one is in critical condition but they don't know which one is which. Oh my word. I feel like I have did hear this. I, I don't know the story, but I this sounds this part sounds familiar and right. where I think it goes, but I still don't know everything about this. Okay. I'm <laughs> okay. gonna tell you. Well, I know you are. So I can't imagine being the these no. loved ones of these girls and having to go knowing that, like, okay, they're both there. One is dead, one isn't, right. and you know, we don't know which. So And do they have both of the same color hair, I'm assuming? No, they don't actually. Um, oh, okay. Christine's hair is darker, and Molly, from what I can tell in pictures, her hair is more lighter colored. So, no, they don't. But I guess maybe hair color can change. So, right. Yeah, that's true. Possibly. I don't know. Um, okay. So, the families go up to the hospital to identify the bodies. Now, Mario, Molly's dad, he tells police before they go and see the body that Molly has a small hummingbird tattoo on her neck. So police are able to look at the body and they confirm that 19-year-old Molly Olguin is unfortunately the victim who was found deceased. Okay. So Christine's parents, Grace and Lily, are now faced with this awful task of identifying whether the other victim is possibly their daughter. So Grace, she is like paralyzed by fear, her mom. She cannot do it. So Christine's Mm -hmm. sister actually goes in and is able to positively identify Christine by her hands and feet. So that was the only way that she could identify her. How is she alive? Right. It is miraculous. I'll talk about it later, what exactly happened. And and it's absolutely like miraculous that she was alive. Okay. 
So while all this is going on, police are investigating the crime scene. So underneath the overlook, so there's that overlook deck, which I will try to post a picture of, somewhat near where these two bodies were found, police find five cigarette butts and a can of monster energy drink. Mm-hmm. So it's like somebody had been standing on the overlook smoking and throwing the cigarette butts mm-hmm. and then threw the drink, whatever. So they take those into evidence along with the girl's clothing, any debris they find laying around, and they find sh- two shell casings from a forty-five caliber pistol. And they're able to confirm that both of the young women had been shot with a forty-five caliber pistol. So they believe that these shell casings are from that gun. Okay. They determined based on a medical exam that Christine had been sexually assaulted, but no DNA was found. Okay. She had been shot just above her left ear. So like her head had been turned. Mm -hmm. After an autopsy of Molly's body was done, the medical examiner determined that she had been shot in the back of the head and that she had likely died pretty instantly. She had also been sexually assaulted prior to her death, but again, there was no semen found. So it was concluded that the attacker wore a condom. Mm -hmm. And took it with him, I guess. Yeah, and took it with him. Mm. They also believe, based on the way that the girls were bound and the, the where they were shot, like the location in their body where they were shot, that the attacker had police or military experience or at least a good knowledge of firearms and how to shoot people to kill them. Mm, okay. Christine's bullet had entered above her left ear and stopped in the part of her brain that controls movement to the left side. She did lose a significant amount of brain tissues, brain tissue, but no like vital areas were actually hit. Wow. But doctors were completely unsure whether she would ever regain consciousness. Mm. Okay. So investigators start to interview Molly and Christine's friends and family. They learn that both of the girls are very well liked. They have no enemies. They don't know of any people that dislike them. There were no witnesses to the attack, and it just seemed like it had been random, like a almost like a crime of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So some people who lived kind of close by the park do call in and report hearing what they thought sounded like fireworks around 1130 or 12 o'clock. And one man named David Strickland, who lives really close by the park, reported that that night around midnight, he had been driving home and he saw a newer model white sedan in the park's parking lot. And then it pulled out and drove away at like an unusually high speed. Hmm. So they're getting these tips. And during police's questioning of the girl's family and friends, specifically her friends, They also discover that Molly and Christine were actually more than friends. The two of them had actually been involved in a romantic relationship for about five months, but this was not something that either of them had been open about with their families. And how did they discover it? Their friends told the police. Oh, the friends. So their friends, some of their friends were aware of this, but like their parents were not. And, you know, just the, not all of their friends even knew, just some of them. So, but this opens up a whole nother can of worms Mm -hmm. for the investigation because now we have to wonder was this a hate crime? Oh. So we'll go into more about this investigation right after this break. 
This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. And just like that, the holidays are upon us. If your holiday schedule is anything like mine, you are one busy closet sister. With all of the days jam-packed with school programs and parties, shopping, gift buying, wrapping, holiday dinner planning, and house guests, I get really overwhelmed. One thing I look forward to every day is my downtime playing Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the only mobile puzzle game I play. I start my mornings with it and I end my days in the escape of the fun worlds and levels with all of my favorite fiends like Brittle and Jojo the Butterfly. Now, with over 7,000 fun and challenging levels, you will never be bored, and you'll always be able to come back to something new and engaging. It's exactly what your Thanksgiving turkey coma brain needs. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free in the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay, so miraculously, three days after the attack, Christine, the badass, Mm -hmm. wakes up. Oh my gosh. So she is unable to move her left side at all. She can't talk, but she's awake and she is determined. So she begins to communicate with police just with like blinks and hand squeezes at first. But eventually she's able to write down the answers to simple questions. She describes her attacker and says that he is a white male in his 20s with a slim build and is a similar height to her. So about five foot eight, Mm -hmm. around 140 pounds with dark hair. She tells police that he smelled like smoke. And she tells them that he referred to them as girl one and girl two. So she's able how, to like go into detail more about what actually happened to them. How, how can she do that? I can understand like getting a description because they'd be like, is he slim? Is he fat? And she's like squeezing for like whichever one. But how is she communicating girl so th- one, girl two? <laughs> I think most of that communication came after she started writing. Okay. okay. Because at first, like for the first day or two, she couldn't do that. But then she started to where she could like write down answers and things like that. And so she kind of wrote her story out. Mm -hmm. So sadly, also after she woke up, her friends and family had to tell her the news that her partner, Molly, did not survive the attack, which was just another devastating blow to Christine. As Christine recovers and improves, she's released from the hospital and she's able to give more and more details about the attacker. They're able to come up with a composite sketch for him. She goes into more detail about what happened to her and Molly and some of it I've already told you. She does say that she is pretty haunted by the fact that she doesn't know exactly what happened to Molly, like what exactly he did to her before she was killed because they were both blindfolded. And so she couldn't see, she could just hear things, but she does say that they were both crying and that their last words to each other were to ask each other if they were okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she also reports, which this is, will come, become important later that the man that attacked them was wearing black gloves, 
but that they were specifically Under Armour brand gloves. She remembers Mm. this. She Mm. was a softball player, and she said that this detail stuck out to her because they looked like batting gloves. Oh, interesting. And they were all the way black, and then Under Armour has like a really bright white Mm -hmm. logo. So she remembered seeing that logo. Okay. So remember they found some cigarette butts Mm -hmm. under the overlook kind of scattered around, like closest to the girls' bodies. Well, DNA results come in for those cigarette butts. And they match a 21-year-old man by the name of Dylan Spellman. And she said he smelled like smoke. She did say he smelled like smoke. Yes. It's a good memory there. Okay. (laughs) So Dylan was living close to the park, and he had a pending robbery charge in Nevada, which is why his DNA was in the system. Mm. So 18 months prior to this attack... He had been accused of robbing a home with four other people in Nevada. According to the reports, they used duct tape to restrain a man, his wife, and their two children, and then robbed them. But what's most interesting is in the reports, the victims say that the attackers referred to themselves as numbers. Mm. So like, hey, number one, you go in that room. Number two, you go in that room. Mm-hmm. So Dylan had moved back home to Portland while he was awaiting trial for these charges. And that's okay. why he was back in the area. Also, one month before Molly and Christine had been attacked, Dylan had been dis- discovered by the police in the same park, drunk with a half-naked woman. So like what? he was drunk in the same park with a half-naked woman it doesn't seem to have appeared to like it it was a consensual thing that she was half naked from what I can understand, but the two of them were warned and sent home. Whoa, that so, is insane. He's looking like a real suspicious guy, this Dylan Spellman. Okay, so they brought him in for questioning and he agreed to take a polygraph, which he failed. He then asks to speak to detectives. Now, this is interesting. So he fails the polygraph. I think they told him he failed, or maybe he just knew he failed. And he says, I want to speak to the detectives. They come in and he says, what would I get if I admitted to to this? What? In other words, like, how much time would I get if I admitted to this? So that sounds to me a lot like he's asking for a plea deal. Yeah, right. Uh But he ultimately doesn't confess to anything. And without his confession, the only evidence that they have linking him to the crime scene area are the cigarette butts, Mm -hmm. which could have been left there anytime earlier that day, the month prior, whenever they knew he was there. Also, and this is interesting, the description that Christine gave was that her attacker was just right about her height, five foot eight, five foot nine, something like that. Dylan was six foot eight. Oh, that's way taller. He's a whole <laughs> foot taller, which is pretty dramatic. And like my husband is 6'5", and like Christy would agree with me, he's noticeable. Yeah. So six foot eight is even taller, and that's the first mm. thing that you would notice about him. Yeah, no kidding. One you wouldn't think you were – you wouldn't even come close to saying they were the same height. Right, yes. It would be a very dramatic like thing that you would notice. But, yeah. And she doesn't ID him from a photo lineup either. So this kind of moves him down the suspect list a little what bit. What kind of car does he have? Does he have a white new sedan? Oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't know. But he um, 
he would walk to that park because he lived mm. really close by. And so it was known that he would walk there. So, okay. So sadly, a year goes by without any new leads. Mm. Christine, thankfully, is making good progress in her recovery. She has to relearn to walk and talk, but she does. She is very supported, not just by her family, but also by Molly's family, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, no kidding. And like this, just just think about what she has survived here. So she's endured a sexual assault, a traumatic brain injury. She was publicly outed against her control. Mm-hmm. and lost her first love all at the same time oh yeah and i'm sure this survivor's guilt kicks in there too like why absolutely. did she survive yeah absolutely so but despite all of that she's determined to do everything that she can to get justice for molly and for herself badass i keep saying it but did they have to reconstruct her face i mean clearly if um, she's she unrecognizable had, no i think i don't know I don't think so because she looks pretty similar now than she did oh. in pictures back. She's beautiful. She's mm. completely beautiful. She, in fact, you wouldn't even know looking at her. Um, like she wow. doesn't have facial scarring or anything because she was hit in the above her left ear. So I don't know if I think it probably was her face was just really swollen. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, because bloody. of the brain trauma and bloody and stuff right. like that. Mm-hmm. So okay. no, but she, yeah, it, I don't think so. Okay. Okay. So this case, again, a second year goes by without any new leads. And it is haunting the town. It is haunting these detectives. Like they they want justice. They want to find it. They do not let it die. To their credit, they, they just won't let it go. So p- the police chief decides to assign a new detective to the case. And this detective just decides to start from square one at the very beginning. He is going to act like he has never heard of this case before. He's going to start from the beginning and go through everything all over again to see if there's anything new that comes up because he's a fresh set of eyes. They take Christine back to the crime scene. They have her walk it through them again, literally retracing the steps from the very beginning. Just as they're starting this process, they get a huge break in this case. Remember, this Hmm. is two years later. Now, all of a sudden, a huge break is coming. Hold on to your pants now, people. I'm holding them. And your undies and whatever else, because they all got about to get knocked off. Okay. (laughs) So the Choppas, Christine's parents, the survivor, right, get a letter delivered to their house in a Ziploc bag. So it's hand-delivered. The letter is addressed to Larry Chapa, Christine's father. And the letter, it's a long letter. It is from a hitman. Okay. Stay with me now. Okay. The author of the letter says that they are a hired gun. They say that they were approached by a man and asked to kill Christine. So this was back two years ago. It had alluded to the fact that the motive was related to her sexual orientation because it says some derogatory things mm-hmm. about lesbians and things like that. The hitman says that he decided that he was not able to kill Christine, that he wasn't going to do it. I'm not willing to do it. So the man that hired him said, well, I'll just do it myself. The writer also offers facts about the crime that were not released to the public. Oh. Like that the girls were referred to by girl one and girl two 
and the fact that it was Christine that was forced to bound and gag Molly. So this is all in the letter, and this was not Mm. public. They had not made any of this public. So they knew whoever wrote this letter did, in fact, have some inside knowledge of what happened. The most shocking part is the letter names Molly and Christine's attacker. Oh. The letter says, I'm a hitman. Somebody tried to hire me to kill to kill these girls. I said no, so he decided to do it himself, and his name is Cristobal Melcher. Who in the world is Cristobal Melcher? There's a picture of him in with the letter. Stop. It's so wild. I, it's this I find wild. It, yes, totally insane that this hitman all of a sudden grows a conscience. <laughs> To tell on somebody else that goes and kills him. It's like, he was like, oh, that person didn't deserve to be murdered. Everyone else that I've murdered is fine. (laughs) This one I feel guilty about. This one I feel guilty about. And so I couldn't do it. So I'm going to tell on the person who did. Bananas. Amazing. Okay. So who the heck is Cristobal? Okay. Mm -hmm. Cristobal is a young man who is in his 20s. He lives in Utah and is in the Army Reserves. So off. They go to Utah to find this man who has been named as this girl's attacker. They find Cristobal on a base in Utah and they immediately interview him. He is like shocked. Like when they show him this letter, he's like, I have no idea who these people are. I've never been to this area. I know nothing about this crime. He's like literally sick being implicated in this awful crime that happened. He just knows nothing about it. So police kind of believe him because he is like, what in the heck? Like, oh my, he's like so flabbergasted. So they actually confirm that Cristobal was in deployment training in California when the murders took place. So there's no way that he could have been in Texas on the night that this happened. So he's cleared. What in the holy weirdness? Right. So, okay. I don't know how this random dude gets pulled into it. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Okay. I hope you are. So detectives are super confused like you are and like I was. And they asked Cristobal, like, okay, well, who in the heck would randomly try to frame you for this? Do you know a hitman? Like who's or want to be hit? Mama, did you sleep with? Whose sister did you did you hurt? Like who would try to do this to you? So Cristobal, he thinks about this and he says, I mean, I don't have any enemies, but I had this roommate not long ago who actually ended up being like the roommate from hell. He said that like a month prior to this, his roommate, who had been a terrible roommate to live with, had left the house abruptly and stole all of his guns. So remember, he's in the military. So this roommate left and just took all of his guns and he had to call the cops on him and file charges. So they did end up arresting the roommate and get the guns back, but the guy was still facing some pretty serious theft charges for stealing these guns and Cristobal was pursuing them. So he was like, maybe he's mad about it. And detectives are like, oh, maybe he is. Who is this guy? Was so that the, guy in the military too? No, or just not at the time Cristobal was. No, he was just a roommate that lived in the area. He's described as a businessman. So the roommate's name was David Strickland. Okay. David, as it would turn out, 
is a 27-year-old man who is out on bail facing these pending charges of gun-related robbery and was awaiting trial and had recently moved back to his hometown in Portland, Texas. <laughs> I was like, oh, I forgot the name of it. It's okay. <laughs> he, in fact, lived within a mile of the park where Molly and Christine had been attacked. Hmm. Now, come to find out, police had actually talked to David already in relation to Molly and Christine's case. Remember the guy who called and reported that they saw a white sedan pulling out of the park's parking lot at high speed? Okay. That was none other than our friend David. Okay, David. Huh. Hey, David. Mm-hmm. David met the description. He was only 5'9". And he had formally been in the military, but had been discharged due to mental, mental health-related issues. At the time of the murder, he was living in Portland, Texas, but shortly after the attacks, he had abruptly moved to Utah and lived briefly with Cristobal before stealing his guns and fleeing back to Texas. Oh, so all that, this attempted murder or murder and attempted murder happened before he even lived with that Cristobal. Right. Yeah. Because he had just stolen Cristobal's guns one month prior Right. To, them, to the, them getting this letter and tying right. it to Cristobal and all this stuff. So these were like recent. This had recently happened. Mm. Okay. So when he was arrested for the gun theft, which again was one month prior. Okay. Police had seized a backpack of David's and it was being held in an evidence locker in Utah. So the police search it. And in the backpack, they find personal lubricant, condoms, handcuffs, a tourniquet, pepper spray, a knife, bolt cutters. It's a real big long list that I could read all of it to you, but it's all things that sound a lot like a murder kit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most importantly in that backpack, they find a Glock 45 and black Under Armour gloves. Oh, the Under Armour. It's going to take them down. There you go. (laughs) So they search David's computer and they find parts of the letter that the hitman had written. So they don't find the whole letter, but they find Mm -hmm. parts of the letter on David's computer. So then they do a cell phone search and his cell phone records place him at the Choppa's house at the exact time that the letter was delivered. Oh. So they believe that he was the one who wrote the letter to frame Cristobal and delivered it to their house. Police also match the shell casings found at the scene as similar to coming from the gun that was found in David's backpack. Mm. So on June in June 2014, which is two years after the attack and murder. David is arrested and charged with capital murder, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated assault. They also arrest David's wife, Laura. Yes, he was married. Oh, my word. And they charge her with tampering of evidence, but her charges were later dropped. I don't know why. 
Okay. Okay. (laughs) So David denies having anything to do with the murder of Molly or the attack on Kristen, and he pleads not guilty. He goes to trial, and in September of 2016, um, after six hours of deliberation, the jury finds David Strickland guilty of all charges, which are capital murder, aggravated assault, aggravated sexual assault, and he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Christine testifies against David in the trial. I just wanted to mention this because she, again, is so strong. She looks him in the eye the entire time. Mm, wow. Oh, my gosh. I don't okay. know if I could. I- I'm not even done. Oh, okay. Okay. Three years later, in 2019, David's attorney finds a list of evidence collected at the crime scene. And in that evidence, it says that there is a small hair found on Christine's clothing. And it does not appear that this hair was ever tested for DNA. So David's attorney sends it off for testing. Get your pants. Hold on. Oh my gosh. It comes back as a match to Dylan Spellman, the first suspect that detectives looked into. The smoker. What? So based on this new evidence, David is granted a new trial. Because they're saying this hair that is not his, that is on Christine's body, is is reasonable doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so interestingly, the hair is said that it could have possibly been a pubic hair, but it isn't definitely said whether it's a pubic hair or just a regular hair. Can't it you does tell say that? it's a small hair. I would think, but it does. I don't know. I, I looked and looked and looked and I could not find if it was ever declared hmm. normal or pubic. So this is weird, right? This is yeah. weird. Like, why oh. is his hair on her body? I have a hard time wrapping my head around it really do it doesn't make a lot of sense to me they're on a beach it's very windy we we don't have any dna from david but we do have quite a bit placing dylan there is it possible that she picked up his hair from the grass right yeah just i don't know or or on the overlook we know he was on the overlook Right. Because he was throwing his cigarettes down. I don't know if it's Wouldn't possible. Wouldn't that be quite a coincidence? That- it would be, right? That's what I'm saying. I have a really hard time. I'd like to know right. what you think, honestly. <laughs> I Well, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking he either did it or he saw the crime scene, like he came across it hanging out there and his hair came off. That's but possible. either way, like, well, you didn't say anything. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Okay. So in February of 2020, David got his new trial. However, his guilty verdict was upheld. So he remains in a Texas state prison for the remainder of his life without the possibility of parole. Okay. Well, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's a lot, isn't it? Um, Yes. Yes, it is. I, I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt if you're still going. <laughs> that is all I have to say about the case. I'm going to talk about something else later. But Okay. So I'm like literally stretching. I have no idea what to do. Have I baffled everyone? I feel like, yes, you probably have baffled everyone because, okay, fine. 
um, what's his name? Dylan cigarettes hangs out at that park. So of course he's going to have like evidence that he's there. Random hair on it's only one random hair. So is it possible that it was just like it blew onto them or was picked up somehow or whatever, or he picked it up somehow bringing them down and it fell off, you know, like, of course, maybe that's it because it there's, I feel like there's more, there's more stuff. Like he was there when the letter was dropped off his, the gun other guy matches. Yes. David the letters on his computer. He matched letters on the his description. Computer. Like there's yes. Because Dylan's like clearly a whole foot taller <laughs> than Right. David Dylan. Yes. Dylan's a foot taller. Dylan um, is a foot taller than yeah. David, who was convicted of it. Yes. Yeah. I feel like there's Twice. more evidence for David to have been this murderer than just that one random hair and cigarette butts and stuff that were in the area, but he hangs out there. So, right. They could have been. I mean, if it's the case that Dylan had nothing to do with it, he has the worst luck of any person in texas do they know each other i don't know no i don't think so do either of those guys know those girls no right so like there's not even like a connection there there's no connection for either one they definitely feel like they the the person who did it their attacker stumbled upon them and it was a crime of opportunity right it was late at night they were alone in the park how did the person – well, I guess maybe it was just a random thing because there was two girls together. I was going to say in the letter it mentioned maybe it was possible because of their sexual – or that it was because of their well, sexual orientation. But that was two – the letter was written two years after the fact. Oh, and that had already been, been in made the news. Public. Yeah, right. that had been made public that the two That's girls true. were in a romantic relationship. So everyone knew that. I'm not keeping the timeline straight. <laughs> A lot. It's so much. You're going to have every, I feel like everyone is going to have to go back and re-listen to the entire episode all over again. It's like one of those movies where you get to the end and then you're like, whoa, that makes, that changes the whole story for me. I've got to watch it again. So yeah, this is one of those cases like that. Okay. Are we done talking about the murders now? Okay. I want to talk about something else. I want to shift focus here to the real hero, the real survivor who this story is really about, which is Christine Choppa. Mm-hmm. So she does suffer from severe physical impairments. She lost the loose use of her left arm and hand, and she has limited use of like the left side of her body. She has migraines. She obviously suffers from PTSD and anxiety that she battles daily, as well as the heartbreak of losing her partner, Molly, who she loved. And it was in such a traumatic way. But Christine has again, learned to walk. She has learned to talk. She has re-enrolled in college at Texas A&M and is in the nursing program and is on the National Honors Society. She has started dating again, and she has become an advocate for violence against the LGBTQ plus community and even gave a speech at the GLAAD Awards telling her story. She looked absolutely beautiful in her speech, and it is very raw and heartfelt and linked in the show notes if anybody wants to watch it. Christine is also working on a book that will be called The Wind Blew Through Us to tell her story and Molly's story of justice and survival. And it should be noted that Christine fully believes that David Strickland is the person who attacked her and Molly, and she does not believe that Dylan had anything to do with it. 
Okay. And that is the story of Molly Olguin and Christine Choppa. Wow. <laughs> Wild. And that's like literally all I have. for That was insane. It's insane. I don't even know what to think about it. No, I, I, I don't either. I mean, I believe I, I, I am with Molly. Molly. <laughs> right? Christine, you mean Christine, the survivor. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. See, I can't even keep any of his name straight. I'm with Christine. I believe David did it. Okay. I feel like there's more. Well, it makes me happy. On that side, so. It, yes, it makes me happy for her because I feel like that she believes mm-hmm. her attacker and Molly's killer yeah. have gotten justice. And so that is, has brought her some closure. Yes. And so I am glad. And I hope yeah. that, it, that it, he is the guy because if Dylan had anything to do with it and is just running free, that sucks. Um, yeah. But yeah. Gosh. Well, badass. Badass. Isn't she, though? I feel like I, I want to like name my... the episode that. Because she yeah. really is. Like, the fact the fact that she survived and then the fact that she is still such a strong person is like, oh, yes, girl. She's my current hero. Yes. Be like Christine. Be like Christine. Mm-hmm. Gosh, man. Okay. Thanks for the story. Well, Thank, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Laura, for that story. Thanks, Beth, for bringing it to us and, gosh, blowing our pants off. I did. Several <laughs> Legitimately. <times. laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, I, I'm literally speechless on that. So uh, I'll just say it's been another week. Join <laughs> us again next week. Find us on social media so you can see pictures of this crime and crime scene and whatnot, whatever you've got for us to show us, Beth. And everyone needs to have a good Thanksgiving. Oh, is that really where we're at? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This week. (laughs) So happy Thanksgiving, friends. (laughs) Oh, man. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Enjoy your time with family and friends. Be thankful for everything that you have. And we are super thankful for you guys. That's for dang sure. So keep sticking with us because we love it. We love you guys. And just always remember the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.